in the midst of uncertainty, our faith can struggle. Our walk becomes labored, our heart heavy. There's something about the unknown which seems to weaken us. It drains our patience and blurs our focus. Yet, in the middle of everything, stands a faithful God. A God who's not swayed by the struggle, who isn't moved by the winds of chaos. A God who remains faithful, even when our faith is fragile. It seems more difficult than ever to not worry about tomorrow. Yet that's exactly what God has asked us to do. For when we cast our burdens on Him, the troubles of the moment begin to fade. When we trust the plans He has for us, our fear begins to subside. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, our focus becomes consumed by clarity. Yes, we are in the midst of uncertainty, but we can be certain of one thing. God is faithful. And that is more than enough for tomorrow. And we need to be reminded of that. Just like the song that we just sang, we need to be reminded over and over and over, God is good, God is good, God is good, God is good. He will never let you down. He will never, ever, ever let you down. He will never make a mistake. He will never choose wrongly. He will never treat you in a way in which you shouldn't be. He is perfect. Now, during the Spanish Civil War, there was a general, his name was Emilio Mola, and he was marching on a city, and he was asked how many columns of men he had with him to march on this city, and his, his reply was five. Four behind me, and one within the walls of the city. See, he was referring to people who would fight for him inside the city, which describes a power, which, which is a powerful image of betrayal and enmity on the part of those people that were inside who were supposed to be members of the community in support of their community, that fifth column. And in today's passage, Peter describes that, that even though the church is battered plenty from the outside, you know, people attacking the church and, and what we believe from the outside, that one of the greatest weaknesses that the church can, can have actually can come from within. That fifth column. Uh, we must stay alert and beware of counterfeits, Peter says. And in today's passage, Man, if you read this passage before today, as I have in the last few weeks, I was just like, ugh, really? Okay, here we go. Um, what, what is this going to be like on Sunday morning? Well, here we go. Um, if you would turn, please, to 2 Peter chapter 2, and we're tackling verses 1 through 9 um, this morning. Chapter, chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And the first thing Peter warns us of is to beware of false teachers. Beware of false teachers. Verse 1, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, Peter says. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. So these false teachers will claim to be in the know. They will claim to be authentic. They will claim to be genuine. They will, be, they will claim to be leading you in the way that you should go. And Peter gives us some things to look out for here. Actions and beliefs and behaviors will give us warning 
as long as we're looking, as long as we're searching God's word diligently, uh, this picture came across my Facebook feed this week. Uh, last week, we saw that, that God's word is what sets the bar for us. It is our measuring instrument. It is genuine. It is inerrant. It is infallible. It is, a, it is truth with a capital T. And the best way to tell a fake from the genuine is to study and know the genuine, to study and know the real thing. But there are also some things that we need to understand about the fake. And, and that's what struck me about this one. Uh, and, and these also relate to, to the genuine, but that's, that purple security thread, it's not supposed to be shiny or raised. If you feel that and it's, or you look at it and it's shiny or it's raised, then it's probably a fake. Uh, the bell hologram is not shiny, nor does it color shift or change when held at different angles. Uh, the bottom right number hologram is not shiny, nor does its color shift or change when held at different angles. And the back side of the bill, there should be no to little color on the back at all. It should just be boring and plain, you know, drab green and, and uh, off-white. So there are some things about the fakes that we can also know in our mind in order to tell the real thing. I, but I think most prominently, we need to study the real thing and know the real thing. We need to study God's word. We need to be in it. We need to, we need to know it. And we need to let it influence our hearts and our minds. But Peter points out four things here in these first three verses alone that, that we are to beware of. The first is deception. Peter says that these false teachers will deceive and, and their goal is to divide. They want to create groups and factions. They want to lead them away from the truth. They want to separate them out. They accept those things that God hates. They're okay with it. They're like, yeah, it's okay. That's just, that's just who you are. That's just who God made you to be, they would even say. Paul warned the Galatians of evil in Galatians 5.20. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, and factions. Factions, deception, that conjures memories of, as I thought about that this week, it, it, it conjured memories of David Koresh and the, the Branch Davidians. Uh, Jim Jones and the People's Temple, uh, I'm, I'm barely old enough to remember that, so the majority of us probably don't even know who Jim Jones was, but um, Charles Manson, that was deceitfully uh, Heaven's Gate, and one of the largest, Joseph Smith and the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Um, deception that leads people away from the truth. Oh, they may use the same words, they may use the same names, they may use the same titles, but they mean something totally and completely different. That's what Peter is warning us of. And, and as people are being led away from the truth, People are then being destined to hell. They are being deceived. They don't have true salvation. And, and this has been going on since the beginning, and we're going to see that because Peter takes us through that. Satan has been using this tactic, twisting God's words and causing confusion. In Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 5, we see the first, uh, the, the first piece of this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He Eve didn't know whether she was coming or going. And, and Adam was just standing there right beside, letting her fall into it and, and, and being culpable in that situation. God didn't say don't touch it, but he did say you will die. And so, and so the confusion is already starting in Eve. Luke talking about Apollos, who was a Jew, a native of Alexandria, who came to Ephesus he, he talks about him in Acts chapter 18, 27 to 28. It'll be up here. 
Uh, Luke is talking about his boldness with the truth in the face of the Judaizers, opposition to the truth. Uh, he says in verse, into verse 27, when he arrived, Apollos, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah, from the scriptures, and what he had in that moment was the Old Testament. Those were the scriptures that he had in his hands that he was refuting the Judaizers with, and that's what we see as truth today and what refutes the lies that are out there and points us to the false teachers. I mean, we're going to see lots of that today. Uh, a second way to spot a false teacher besides their deceit is, is in what they deny. It's in what they deny. A, a huge red flag of a counterfeit teacher is their denial that Jesus was the Messiah. If you go to a church or you meet with a group of people and, and they don't agree that Jesus was God, that he was the Messiah, that he was crucified and that he rose again, you need to get out of Dodge because that's false. It's not true. Uh, the end of verse one, Peter says, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. Peter knew the shame of denying Christ. Peter had done that. Jesus had told him that he would. Jesus knew it would happen, and Peter also knew the humble wonder of being restored, of being forgiven. These false teachers, they don't know that humility. They're not seeking humility. They're not seeking to understand the truth. They refuse to submit to the absolute sovereign authority of God. So we can conclude that these false teachers didn't lose their salvation, there was no salvation to begin with. They never were saved. They never believed. How, well, how did they deny God? They, they denied God's ability to save. They denied that Jesus would return. Uh, many just generally denied Jesus' claim over them as Savior and God. They refused to submit to him, to God's rule, to, God's, to his lordship. They wanted control over their own lives and they wanted to bring a bunch of people along with them. And we see that in our world today. The book of Jude uh, is a great companion book to 2 Peter. Uh, write that down in your notes. Read the book of Jude this week and see how it also is very similar to Peter. Um, warnings that are oh so relevant to today. Warnings that help us to be ready for, for our last breath, for the end of the world, however and whenever that may come. Jude 1, 19 says, these are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Paul in Romans 8, verse 9 says, you, however, are not in the Rome realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. He's talking about believers, those who have believed, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. I saw this picture a while back, uh, and then a statement posted by a pastor. Uh, a pastor, he says, man's greatest trick was convincing you that you cannot question an all-knowing God about a book a man wrote. That just actually raises the hairs on the back of my neck because that is not true. First of all, God is all caps. He is Lord, creator of all things. And number two, men penned the words, but as we saw last week, God breathed those words into the sails of their minds and they wrote what he wanted them to write. So absolutely, it's not a trick and we should all be convinced. That there should be no question. Whatever God says, that's the way it is. Whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not. And it's, this is not a fun passage uh, to preach on, but it's one that we all need to hear. And, and we need to know these things. 
Here, here were the comments of, of the person that posted this. Seminary also introduced me to the historical study of Jesus and Christian origins. I learned from my professors and the readings they assigned that Jesus almost certainly was not born of a virgin, did not think of himself as the son of God, and did not see his purpose as dying for the sins of the world. I also found the claim that Jesus and Christianity were the only way of salvation to be troublesome. Yeah, uh-oh, is right. I don't even know what to say to that, honestly. Um, I've heard people call seminary cemetery before. That one is. It's false. It's not true. And, and I don't understand. I, and, and I think you will see throughout the message today, I don't understand how you can genuinely and authentically read the word of God and come to these conclusions. I, I, I would argue you can't. So I, I don't know what that person is reading. I don't know what seminary they went to. I don't know what they were being taught. Um, these are human thoughts. They're, they're getting human thoughts away ahead of God's word. So we need to beware. We need to beware of counterfeit teachers who are deceptive and who deny the inspiration of God's word and deny who Jesus was and who he himself claimed to be. Jesus himself claims the opposite of all that that person wrote. These counterfeits, he said, will also spend a lot of time in the area of sensuality. Look at verse two. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Now, the Greek word for that English translation, shameful here, means Unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, and lasciviousness, sensuality. Now, sensuality and our sexuality are an enormous area that Satan leverages in our world. He, he is infiltrating our minds and actions and behaviors, attempting to infiltrate, a, a way to infiltrate our hearts with darkness, deception, and Jude describes the danger this way in Jude chapter one, verse 44, for certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. A license for immorality. Justification and permission. That's what a license is. Over and over, we are warned and alerted to the dangers that lurk. And it has infiltrated churches across our planet. Pastors and leaders giving in to the deception and not only justifying it, but honestly celebrating it. Churches allowing homosexual pastors. Churches performing homosexual weddings are a couple of examples because God's word clearly condemns that sexual immorality. Clearly. Yet false teachers condone and celebrate them. Their teaching goes beyond the moral failures of leaders. Look, leaders will fail morally. People fail morally. We all do. We make mistakes. We're sinful people. But how do we react and respond to that failure? Many people in our world have stopped calling that a failure and are just saying, well, that's just who you are. In fact, that's who God created you to be. Whoa, wait a minute. That's false. Their teaching attempts to do away with even the concept of moral failure. God said that there were false prophets even in the Old Testament too, counterfeits. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 14, and among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. 
They commit adultery and live a lie. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that not one of them turns from their wickedness. They have said, this is okay, this is okay, this is okay. So what's happening? They're not seeing that it's wrong and they're not turning away from it. They are all like Sodom to me and the people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah, pretending to be the real deal. Jeremiah 23, verse 32, indeed, God says, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies, yet I did not send or appoint them. They do not benefit these people in the least, declares the Lord. The wide gate and the broad road, it's, it's easy, but it leads to destruction. The small gate and the narrow road leads to life. It's not the popular one. Righteousness, holiness, obedience, those are the narrow road, and they aren't easy. They're hard, but they're the best. Jesus, in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Titus, Paul's letter to Titus, they, verse 16, chapter one, they claim to know God, but by their actions, they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Deception, denial, sensuality, and the fourth sign we must be aware of is greed. It's greed. It's, it's easy. Pastor Michael used to work for televangelists. I mean, he worked for, he's got stories about big expensive airplanes and big mansions and that's where my mind kind of goes when I think of, of the greed. Um, but you know, greed, and, it, and the Bible tells us that money can be the root of, of evil. Uh, and if preachers, teachers, if their motivation for teaching, um, whether they think is they're being genuine or counterfeit, is money, then that's a problem. They're on very thin ice. But as I, I thought about this, greed, of course, doesn't only happen with money. People, people can get greedy uh, in regards to fame and popularity, to being a prominent person, to having power, a, a stroking of an ego, pleasure, time. Um, we can get greedy about all of these things and we need to be sure that we're evaluating ourselves, that we're surrendering, that we're, that we're confessing, that we're standing and sitting and kneeling before the throne of grace on a regular basis saying, God, search my heart. Tell me, is there something in me that's not right? But all too often, we just get this idea and this thought and we just, we just run with it. And then we Google it and we find a bunch of other people that agree with us and we don't bother to search and see what the truth of God's word says. We must, must continue to go back to the word of God. Scripture is very clear on this red flag. Uh, Micah chapter three, verse 11 says, her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. They're deceiving even themselves. In 2 Timothy chapter four, verses one through four, Paul says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. We must be where. We must be where. 
And, and I think at no other time in our world, just as I said last week, with the advancement in technology, has there ever been a time when a lie could be broadcast as broad and wide as it can be today? We have to be careful. I mean, I could jump on my Facebook soapbox right now. We have to be careful. Before you hit share, why not do a simple Google search and see if what, you're, what you think and what you want to be true is actually true. Just beware. In 2 Corinthians 4.2, Paul says, Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. God's word, renouncing secret and shameful ways, deceptive ways, and spelling out very clearly and quite simply in many ways, what we must be aware of. And, and this is happening in our world today. Leaders, pastors, entire denominations are being deceived and teaching deceptively. We must stay true to God's word and not twist and distort its words. Parents, teach your children. Teach your children. We must stand firm on the truth and, and we can confront lies and, and counterfeit teachers when God places us in the position to be able to do that. But there are many times where we don't have that opportunity and we can sometimes just throw up our hands and say, I'm, and just get frustrated. They're, they're, I am powerless in this situation. No, well, yes, you are powerless. God is not. God is not. And instead of being frustrated, we need to trust that God will take care of them. This is what Peter communicates next, that these false teachers will be destroyed. Verse three, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and then in the end of verse nine, and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We can trust that he will do it, that, that he will hold people accountable. We can trust that he will hold us accountable. Peter gives us three examples here of what happens when we live according to our own wisdom and preferences and when we actively engage in misleading people. First, angels created by God, having freedom to make decisions and choices just as we do. God didn't spare them when they sinned. Uh, fallen angels, how, how did this happen? Um, and man, let me tell you what, I wanted to wade in this this morning, but I don't have time to wade into the topic of angels, but it is an interesting one, and there are lots of myths out there in regards to angels. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, uh, speaks of Satan's fall. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you were brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. No one is spared from judgment. Sin will be judged. The angel Lucifer got wrapped up in himself. He tried to usurp the position of God. He wanted to be like God, which, which is what he tempted Adam and Eve with in the Garden of Eden, isn't it? You will be like God. No, impossible. 
uh, Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 11 through 19. I wanted to read this. I, I knew, I know, I don't have time this morning. Ezek- write it down in your notes. Ezekiel 28, 11 through 19 also describes what happened with, with Satan and those uh, angels that went along with him. Please read that. No one is exempt from God's judgment. And, and now our enemy, the devil, prowls around the earth looking for those who he can deceive and devour and destroy humanity to hell. We have to stay alert. We have to stay strong. And that strength comes from the Lord. Uh, We get that from him. Uh, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. Finally, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And too often we don't see them as that. We don't see that he is insidiously trying to convince us to to go the opposite way of the truth. To disobey God, to not trust him. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. God did not spare the angels from judgment. A second example Peter gives us is the ancient world. God didn't spare the ancient world either. He brought a flood on its ungodly people, but he protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others in Genesis 6.3. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. God's patience lasted 120 years. Noah, building this ship, wouldn't it make you curious as to why he was, is, is telling people, look, this is coming. And a student on a school bus asked me one time, why, why, do you, why can't you just let people live the way that they want? Why, why do you feel like it's important to, to, to tell them what they're doing is wrong? And I said, listen, if, if, if there is somebody in a house that's on fire and they're asleep and they don't know the house is on fire, should I just assume that they're gonna be okay? Or should I do everything that I can to try and go in there, even if they refuse to leave the house, to do everything I can to get them to leave the burning house? Because if they don't, they're surely gonna die. That's what this is about. And we need to recognize that there is a battle going on here and there are deceivers on the other side who are trying to convince you that, 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 that you and us trying to live in this way or trying to help other people to see that there's a different way to live, that that is somehow a bad thing. It's a loving thing. The fact that God didn't say, didn't, didn't say well, just, you know, I'm just gonna let it all burn. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna save anybody. I'm just gonna wipe the whole face of the planet out. He didn't do that. He saved Noah and his family. Uh, turn back to Romans. Keep, keep your finger in uh, 2 Peter and turn back to Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. This, this is, it, it, at least to me, as I've read this over and over and over this week, it just seems very clear. It, it just seems simple. To understand truth here. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. We have it right here. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they never glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal man a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. They created 
idols and false gods and worshiped those instead of the one true God. Or, or maybe uh, another way to look at that is, um, you know, in Native American culture, instead of, instead of worshiping the God who created the sun, they worshiped the sun itself. Um, no, our creation is there for us to recognize the creator and how great and powerful and amazing he is. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as you did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they do what ought not be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanders, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Let's beware. Let's beware. Let's keep doing the work of our salvation. Stay true to God's word, no matter what. That's what Noah did. Noah built the ark. He didn't give in to the pressures of people who called him crazy and said he was doing a stupid thing. You're building a ship in a desert. It hasn't rained in how many years? Hebrews 11:7 By faith Noah when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear built an ark to save his family by his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith Jesus talked about Noah too in Luke chapter 17 it's recorded there verses 26 and 27 just as it was in the days of Noah Jesus said so also will it be in the days of the son of man people were eating drinking marrying and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark then the flood came and destroyed them all how do we be ready for the end of the world how do we we be ready for whatever is to come how do we we be ready for our very last breath we listen to the warnings of scripture we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We, we surrender our lives and our opinions and, and our current beliefs to him and what he says. Angels weren't exempt. The people of the ancient days weren't exempt from God's judgment. The third example Peter uses is Sodom and Gomorrah. The account of Sodom and Gomorrah can be found in Genesis chapter 18 and 19. Lot chose to live there even though it wasn't good. In Genesis 13, 13, we see the description. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. You know, I hear a lot of people who say, and I already said at one time, why, why does the church focus uh, sometimes on sexuality or homosexuality? Why, why can't Christians just let people live their own lives and make their own decisions? And I think the answer is because God doesn't. God doesn't just let people live however they want to. God created us to be and act in a certain way. The Bible tells us in God's creativity and imagination and power, he created our sexuality, which is an extremely powerful part of who we are as creatures. Um, God created our sexuality, it's amazing. And you know what? The enemy knows it. The enemy knows it. And he seeks to twist 
and corrupt something that is pure and special when experienced in the way that God intended. He describes that very clearly. We see that. Satan ceased to twist that into something that that is thought of as dirty and evil and destructive. Sexual immorality, perversion, and false teachers try to convince us that, that if we were attracted to someone with this, of the same sex, then that's just who God created us to be. No, God did not create us to be that. But that is absolutely contrary to what God's word teaches us. This very behavior was the foundation of God's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Jude warns us using the demise of Sodom and Gomorrah. In verse 9, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example, Jude says, of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Leviticus 18, 19, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. Sin. Sexual sin. There's no other way to describe the decisions to act and behave this way. God has, however, provided a solution to, to all of this. And it, 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 it was provided to us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was the Son of God. God himself and the action of applying that solution to our lives is called repentance. It's admitting to this sin. It's, it's recognizing that this is contrary to what God wants for me and I'm turning the other way. I'm admitting to it. I'm no longer justifying it or condoning it or celebrating it, but with a broken and contrite heart, with humility and submission, surrendering everything to Jesus. Putting your faith, your complete belief, your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength in Jesus Christ. Surrendering your present and future thoughts and actions to him. Stepping into and onto the path of restoration that he will put you on and he will lead you through. Finally, in our passage this morning, Peter turns his attention to the believers themselves. How? How then? How can we stay true to the Lord in such a wicked world? God says that true believers will be delivered. We will be delivered. But we got to beware. We got to beware. I'm not going to... I'm not going to talk about it, but I've read several things in the last week. Uh, you know, there's a game today, just a little one, that's being played in Nevada. And, and I, I get a publication from Christianity Today, and they have all the headlines. And, and one of the stories that they wrote was, was, why have basically pastors given up on preaching against gambling? And I've been, I've been, I've been wrestling with I mean, I'm kind of wrestling with it right now in this moment with you. And I thought, I said to my wife, I'm not sure I have ever, ever in my 56 years of life heard a pastor preach against gambling. I mean, I just haven't. I mean, I know it's not good. I know it's a, you can get addicted to it. I know it can ruin your life. Um, I think probably it's a sin. I, but what we have in our world today, where is the Super Bowl being played today? Sin City. Now, you laugh at that, but, but I, I watched an ESPN news show where this reporter was talking about the fact that for years and years and years, the NFL refused to have anything to do with Sin City because of what that city represented. Staying away from it. But now that the NFL and 
Major League and all these other sports. And, and now you have, you have sports books online. You can gamble for your, from your own home. And, and they, they, they publish the lines at the end of every announcement for every football game, every basketball game, every baseball game. There's the betting line. There's the over and the under. Didn't used to be. And you know what this reporter said? I don't know if he's a believer or not. I have no idea even who it was. I don't remember. But this is, what he, this is what he said, and I just thought, oh no. He said, he said, Las Vegas, Sin City, has not changed. All of the people have. The nation has now become okay with this. That can happen in the church too. We have to be where. We have to beware, and, and we can trust that God can and he will deliver us. He once again, uh, Peter, uh, reaches back into the Old Testament, and he gives us two examples. Uh, look at verses five on. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, okay, he burned Sodom and Gomorrah to the ground, but he rescued Lot, a righteous man, in fact, practically drags him out of Sodom and Gomorrah to save him in the final moments of the city's existence. Verse 7, if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, and, 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 and Lot was not perfect. Um, his righteousness was his faith in God. That was counted unto him as righteousness. Your righteousness, my righteousness is because of what Jesus Christ did for us. It's his blood that makes us righteous. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and women. Noah, the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. I, I love that. What a gift. Peter already outlined it for us. It's, it's through Jesus Christ that we can escape the corruption of this world. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can escape the corruption of this world. In his first letter, Peter explained, through these he has given us his very great and precious moments so that through them you may participate his precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. First Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Jesus prayed on our behalf to God the Father, and this is what he said in the garden, John 17, 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, because sometimes it's like, God, please just get me out of here. I'm tired. I'm tired of being opposed. I'm tired of, of trying to live right when, when everybody else is saying, well, just do what you want. It's okay. No, Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. 1 Peter 3, 18 and 20, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the spirit through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Jesus is our ark of safety. That rises us above the wickedness of the world and gets us through the corruption. And, and I just want to say, won't, if you haven't, won't you trust him today? Or maybe you've been, maybe you've been choosing some of this wickedness that, that, Peter's been, that, that God has been pointing out to us. And maybe today's the day where you need to say, you know what? I've been justifying this in, in my life for too long. It's time to repent of it finally. It's wrong. I know it's wrong. God has, has confirmed that in my, in my heart today. Jesus, forgive me. Help me to go the other 
direction. Lot wasn't perfect and that gives each of us hope. If in our struggle with sin, if in your struggle with sin, um, you're broken and repentant, that's exactly what God wants. He doesn't want you justifying and, and, and teaching others that, oh, it's okay, just come along with us. You know, we're just all about love. See, it's our response in our failure that's the evidence of our true salvation. Stay true and faithful to the word of God and you won't be led astray or deceived. Know the genuine article. Learn it, study it, read it, study it with others so that you won't be led astray by counterfeits. And finally, in closing, may we all guard our hearts. Guard your hearts. Teenagers, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Knowing God, reading, meditating on his word, gathering together on Sunday mornings and throughout the week, those are all ways that we pitch in and be a part of God helping us to guard our hearts. Surrendering and submitting control of our lives, our thoughts, our actions, our desires, our wants, helps guard our hearts. Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything comes from our heart. In the New Living Translation, he says it this way, guard your heart above all else for it determines the course of your life. Beware of deceit, denial, sensuality, and greed. And I finally, I just want to leave us with this one verse. Worship team, come up here and let's close in this final song. It's 1 John 1.9. That's a promise. That's one of the promises of God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us our sins and he will purify us from unrighteousness. You see, God can't overlook sin. God can't overlook wickedness. He must judge it. And on your behalf, he has judged it. Jesus Christ died in your place. His sacrifice provided that blood. He shed the blood that covers over that sin in your life when we surrender and believe. Let's confess and let's know and believe that he is faithful and that he will forgive us. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for hard words. Thank you for truth. Thank you for for knowing that, that we would just muck it all up if we were left to our own, our own wisdom and our own desires and selfishness and all of that. God, you, you create us, created us, you made us, you know. Help us to take what you have told us through your servant Peter today to heart And to know that, that you, God, sin is bad. Help us to not listen to the deceit of Satan that tries to soften it and many other things in our world. God, help us to be able to recognize false teaching and false truth and to hold unswervingly to your inerrant truth in Jesus' name. Amen.